Welcome to Business Unmuted. Thanks to our sponsor, Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers, representing some of the world's best manufacturers of cars, vans and motorcycles. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb and I've owned Recognition PR for nearly 35 years. We've got 75 clients in multiple sectors based across the UK who have between them a turnover of about £6 billion and employ around 30,000 staff. Now, with all that, you can see we're at the front line of the business community and perfectly placed to discuss the economic climate. Today in the studio, I've got Chris Lloyd. Chris is the Chief Features Writer for the Northern Echo and former Northeast Journalist of the Year. With a passion for the region in the North, Chris is an expert in local politics and a frequent commentator on what's happening on the governments. On our Zoom down the line, we've got Robert Forrester, CEO of Virtue Motors PLC. As I say, one of the top largest uh, motor retailer firms in the uh, country and one of the largest in the north of England and he's also sponsor of Business Unmuted. And Emily Carver, Acting Communications Director and Head of Media at the Institute of Economic Affairs. In addition to managing and growing the IEA's media output, Emily also writes for Conservative Home and recently guest presented on GB News. Welcome all. Now, I don't know who to start with. I'm going to start with Emily because she's an all-round commentator and uh, you've looked at the economy and you also look at politics. So firstly, Emily, this week is a week that the government has changed personnel and change direction. How do you think it will impact the economy? Well, Liz Truss could be one of the most radical prime ministers we've had in many, many years, if her rhetoric is to be believed. She's very much a free market, classical liberal, lover of low taxes, lover of deregulation, lover of a small state. So her first instinct will be to think, how can uh, won't be to add more to the state's portfolio, but we'll be looking to reduce what the government does. So that means more personal responsibility and hopefully more of your own money in your pocket. However, what is interesting is that, of course, politics is uh, uh, difficult and there are many trade-offs. And suddenly her entree has meant that she is about to introduce probably one of the biggest government interventions in the energy market we've seen for decades, which of course is the energy price freeze for households. And of course, there'll be more announcements for businesses coming tomorrow. Now, one could argue that this is needed. Um, those on the free market side, side might argue that targeted support might be better for individuals and households, those who need it most, rather than attempting to mess around with price incentives and things when it comes to energy. Um, but we'll see what she announces tomorrow. But overall, we could be heading for a much uh, lower tax, lower regulation type of country, although she only has two years. So there's All only right. so much. All right, Emily, let's ask Chris now. Chris, you observe politics yep. and the northeast of England. Tell us what effect you think the new government will have on our economy and our politics in the north. Uh, well, I think it's a fascinating time for northeast politics. It's always fascinating time for northeast <laughs> politics, really. But this is even more so because Boris Johnson run, won our red wall seats, as they are called, um, in a way that David Cameron and Theresa May didn't. 
and so places like Bishop Auckland uh, went to the Tories for the first time since 1885. These was an enormous historic change and he won it for I think for four reasons. Uh, one because of Brexit, uh, two because of levelling up, three because he wasn't Jeremy Corbyn and four because he was Boris Johnson. So three of those things really have now gone um, and uh, there's only levelling up left on the table. Very won interesting it in 2019. point. Yeah. So, um, uh, and I think there's almost been a battle for the soul of the Conservative Party, it feels to me, going on um, because um, that Johnson uh, Conservative Party that splashed the cash, Towns Fund money, free ports, all this sort of wonderful stuff, um, is a very different looking Conservative Party to one that Emily has just outlined there. Um, Johnson won our places in the Northeast. Um, a Liz Trust Party, low tax, um, low state, less intervention um, in places like the Tees Valley looks really, really different as a Conservative Party. Now, Robert, you've heard two commentators there, but you and I in business are earning the cash that pays the tax that pays the money. So what do you think about this? Well, what business wants and hasn't had for a long time is a stable economic environment with a stable, competent government who has a long-term perspective as well as a short-term perspective. And I have to say I'm in no way optimistic on the next two years before there's probably going to be another change of government and probably another change of direction. But we're going to be in crisis government for two years. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And I think any grand plans to restructure the economy to a low low state, low regulation is going to be completely overcome by the fact that we're going to see an explosion of government borrowing, uh, recessionary environments, probably lower tax take. And uh, I don't think they've got a hope in hell of achieving the, the vision that they've set out. Not that I actually think they would have done any more benign times. I think there's a lot of good talk uh, probably from these people and I suspect the IEA are going to be quite disappointed, as probably would I, actually. What would you, we'll, we'll go around what you'd want to happen then. What, what well, would we be to, your... We need to get the finances of the country under control, which is very dif difficult when you get sideswiped by massive events. And clearly this energy crisis is a massive event. I mean, we've got geopolitical issues coming in, but this is, let's be honest, 25 years of catastrophic energy strategy. In mm. fact, I, you could delete the word strategy because we haven't had one. This yeah. was always going to come, to be honest with you. I mean... There was a lot of kicking the can down the road, PowerPoints. contemplating the naval. You know, why didn't we fire up the nuclear power stations and get them built? Or, yeah, or, but this, hasn't, this isn't hindsight, in fairness, yeah. Graham. There's a lot of people said, you know, the French have got 25% of their load as nuclear. Um, we, we've got renewables that don't work in anticyclonic conditions when it's minus 28. I mean, th this is absolute Muppetville, our energy strategy. And we are absolutely going to reap the rewards where we, we don't know if we've got energy, never mind the price. I mean, we put a stock exchange announcement out yesterday talking about the impact on our business of energy prices, and it is very significant. We're currently paying 14 pence a kilowatt to the end of September. And when that contract runs out, it, and we're in current... Well, the market's very volatile. You can't, don't even know what we're going to pay, actually, or even whether we'll be able to get a fixed-term contract. But, you know, we're having to relook at energy as a, as a major strategic variable. OK. Well, let, let, I, full disclosure, I, I actually, in my non-professional life, in my private political life, uh, campaigned and helped Rishi Sunak, where he wasn't going to do this, uh, this kind of tax-cutting agenda. But nevertheless, it is what we've got. 
and there are some upsides if you were to consider it from a business point of view. Robert, you have a big wage bill. Uh, if you see your either corporation tax or your employer's national insurance cut, won't that put a big injection of money or stop a big removal of money from your um, cash flow? Well, it, it will have a positive variable that way, but the bigger impact on our uh, profit and loss gap will be consumer demand and what the effect on the uh, the consumer economy is, as well as inflation. And with the level of government debt we got, you wouldn't rule out a sterling crisis. In fact, sterling is weak, and that's going to be inflationary. Price of new cars will go up. So I think there's a lot of moving parts, and it seems like the odd you know, sprat mackerel being thrown at us in, in tax cuts, I mean, lovely. But there are some fundamental economic issues which need to be dealt with, and we've got to get the we've got to get the books to balance, and that, and we haven't got the books to balance, and we might not do that for a long time. Emily, come on in on what Robert said because he's he's I mean I think he's a professional pessimist, by the way, Robert. I, I've known him for a long time. He is very good at it, just so you know. Uh, but uh, but uh, if, I've got shares in his company, so I'm very happy for him to be realistic in in what he does. Uh, so what do you make of what he said, though, Emily? Robert sounds like my colleague Christopher Snowden, who is always predicting the worst. But I completely, I do, I do agree with um, with Robert that we seem to have given up on the whole idea of ever balancing the books. You know, deficit debt doesn't seem to mean anything anymore. It's it's funny looking back at the Cameron times and austerity mm. and George Osborne and how they managed to um, communicate that message of. Uh, you know, the public finances being similar to your household, um, your household finances in that you shouldn't spend too much more than you take in. That seems to have completely flown out of the window. And you even have free market economists now arguing that we should just continue borrowing in the hope that growth will be strong enough um, to, uh, well, mean that we don't have any catastrophic consequences. Now, I am sceptical of that, and that is something that Sunak was more um, arguably fiscally prudent on than uh, Liz Trusts. But I do think that as an aspiration, bringing down the tax burden is a good one. Um, we do have taxes at a 70-year high in terms of the overall burden. That's not good for business. That's not good for individuals. I do worry, of course, that if we're heading for a massive recession, if energy bills aren't kept down, it doesn't look like they are going to be, that people simply won't have money to spend in the economy. And when people don't have money to spend in the economy, then we're going to have potentially mass unemployment. That's not very good at all. Having come out of the pandemic where money has been splurged, people are going to be expecting the state, the taxpayer, to pick up the burden of unemployment too. So benefits are going to go up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my pessimistic hat. On the on the positive side, it could be that wholesale prices do manage to go down sooner rather than later. That would be fantastic if we managed to find new supply. Um, but it is looking pretty sketchy, and I do not envy those who are trying to keep small and medium-sized businesses. In, in fairness, I'm actually very optimistic about energy prices. If you look at the forecast for the next two to five years, within 24 months, we're pretty well back to where we started. This is a short-term hike, not a long-term problem, but it's a hell of a short-term hike. Mm. Long term, I think there will be with the investment in renewables. We're going to do three million pounds into solar panels. You know, everybody's putting renewable stuff in, and actually, with the recession, which will reduce demand for for energy anyway, 
uh, I think we'll get to lower prices actually quite quickly. Bodies painful in the short. Chris, in a minute, but I'm just I want to nail this issue on recession, Robert. Now you've taught, you've made, you've used the R word more times than anyone on this discussion. Are we in danger of talking ourselves into recession? We aren't technically in a recession yet. Perhaps we've got to prepare for the worst, hope for the best. But maybe what Liz Truss government is doing is trying to avert the worst by putting a cash injection into the economy to stop recession. Is recession inevitable in your view, for each of you? Robert first. You think yes, because you said it. I think it is, yeah. Uh, Emily, is, is recession inevitable? It would appear so, but I would say the longer term problem is the fact that we've had stagnant growth for so many years now. We need to get back to sort of 3% growth, not the sort of one and one and a half. So, so it, I suppose your point of view of whether we're in recession or whether we're not, it's only a technical issue. It's about whether it's a, a tiny bit of growth compared to a tiny bit of loss. What about you, Chris? Um, it looks really serious. I think that the new Prime Minister has a, a cocktail of calamitous catastrophes awaiting her with uh, all the things that uh, are potentially going wrong. And within a day of uh, being Prime Minister, we're already hearing how the uh, this low-tax government is already going to be borrowing an enormous amount, $100 billion, uh, over the next couple, of, uh, next couple of years. And I really hope Robert's right that energy prices are going to fall in the spring. That seems to me to to be uh, a real um, kind of short-term gamble that this is going to happen because we've no idea what the uh, situation on the continent and Ukraine is going to be in, in April um, and whether Putin has some other uh, way of extracting money from us. So um, there are a huge number of variables and every one of them is pointing badly, I'm afraid. Yeah, and you can't build more energy supply, can you? Um, you know, a nuclear power station takes Absolutely. seven to ten, ten years to build. Yeah. The wind turbines, which are being built on the River Tees now mm -hmm. and on the Humber, mm -hmm. they're still going to take yeah. some time to come yeah. online. Let's move to the issue of levelling up. You mentioned levelling up earlier. Now, levelling up has made a difference in Teesside in the northeast of England. It's starting to make uh, an impact. This is an agenda item of Boris Rishi. Um, it's clearly important for the north of England generally that it is continued. The devolution of power to mayors and the ability to spend on uh, local infrastructure and local projects. Uh, what's your view on whether it might happen? Because there's a political dimension with like, yeah. Simon Clark, isn't there's, there? There's a huge, well, a huge political dimension. I was disappointed that in uh, Liz Truss's five-minute speech, mm. uh, as she dodged the showers yesterday, um, that she didn't use the phrase levelling up. She did at PMQs today, mm. which was quite reassuring. Her new levelling up secretary is Simon Clark from Middlesbrough South and East Cleveland. Um, and uh, I think he has a real and genuine interest in this and the really fascinating thing is going to be how the Liz Trust government defines what levelling up is because I've spent the last three years trying to pin down what levelling up actually means. Does it mean levelling up uh, historic tran uh, transport infrastructure non-spend where um, in 2016 London had £1,640 per head spent on transport infrastructure, the North East had £5 and one penny. Do we address that? Do we address life expectancy? Um, or is it job creation? What does levelling up actually mean? What is the trust government it, going to concentrate on in that way? It might be all of the above, but I'd like to add that it should be the number of businesses. In the North East, the business population is 700 per 10,000. In London, it's well over uh, 1,400 per yeah, 10,000. Yeah. And we need more businesses, not just to have a... Uh, people like Robert. I mean, Robert, why did you choose to locate here in the North East? You're a rare example of a PLC based in yeah. North East England. We are, and um, 
it's because I met a woman from the northeast. Uh, <laughs> romance. So, it, uh, but was there any strategic reason as well? No, I would say I actually find the northeast a fantastic place because the work ethic and the joy which which northeast people bring to work and life in general is phenomenal. I can think of no better place, and we've created 500 jobs in Gateshead, Tynan Weir in the past 15 years in in and some very high caliber you know marketing digital development jobs uh, so it's great to be able to do that because the northeast has had a problem of being being stripped out of higher caliber jobs and losing plcs and i think plcs are are very important um i do worry about the leveling up idea where i mean the transport thing our transport is horrific compared to the south of england um and I was told by a PPS that that was because the economic model said you should invest in the southeast of England because yeah. the government got a better payback and yeah. the economy got a better payback. And that's why we got a dual carriageway to Edinburgh. Uh, actually, you also said we had a dual carriageway to Edinburgh because we had a very fast train. But that's yeah. an argument's never used in the yeah. southeast of England, is yeah. it? <laughs> so, Emily, you might have heard is... those arguments before. It's, it's good that you hear it from Robert firsthand. But... There is a there is a genuine soreness in among voters and people who operate in the economy in the northeast. The government infrastructure, particular decisions, are made on this this treasury rule, which I think Trust wants to abolish, doesn't she? Well, I think devolving decisions um, is a good idea um, if you can ensure that those who who, who the decisions have been devolved to are capable, competent, and will make good decisions and have good people around them. One thing that I think needs to be addressed is um, the fact that so many young people who have gone through the university system, who live around the country, feel as soon as they graduate, it seems that they have to go off and move down to London or, you know, move to one of the, the big cities in the country, although mostly London, really, um, and that they have to go there to get their jobs. So job creation really does have to be a big thing, because I think it's sad on a cultural level and a social level, as well as um, in terms of those areas not getting the boost that they need from young people starting businesses and making their lives in different areas of the country. Um, so I think that's something that will be tricky to address and perhaps there's more in that in terms of why so many people are going to university, are there better options for them um, and so on in areas around the country. But I also think there's an issue about the public sector crowding out the private sector in some areas of the country. Um, if you can get a better paid job working for your local council or working for a public service, um, the incentive to go and, you know, risk, uh, risk, um, uh, take risks by uh, starting up a business or by joining a, a, a startup and so on aren't there. So, Emily, uh, I've heard that before. I just want to, I'm going to inject a, a little point on that because it's worth just to take from the north of England this point. We are based in Darlington, doing this filming from Darlington, where the Treasury are going to hold a, yeah. uh, a host of really big economic campus. Now, I run a business, PR firm, and we could be competing exactly in the way you say the jobs in the civil service, just fractionally more money and maybe the pension a bit better. The holiday a bit more generous but when the uh, the impact of the jobs in Darlington has helped the asset values improve so the value of the office building I'm in now has gone up the value of houses has gone up now ordinary you wouldn't want an asset bubble 
But in an area like Darlington, you need just a bit of asset growth in order to grow the economy because it's so far behind the north. So there's an element of swings and roundabouts to this argument. Yeah, And um, didn't, uh, during the Tory leadership campaign, Liz Truss propose something fairly similar in regional pay boards, which um, became a very, very hot topic? Yes, it's a, there's a lot of pushback on it. But it's because yeah. of the actual uh, GDP, GDP of the area. Uh, Emily, I'm going to I'm going to just put one other point to you because I'm, I'm, I'm picking on you very lucid and very uh, uh, very able to argue your case. But if you were to look at the Labour Party's case, and I think it's proper that we mention this today, they are talking about a windfall tax on the big uh, energy producers. They say that they've made £170 billion surplus profit and you could tax that very effectively and get money into the Exchequer and tackle this issue of not having me, you, our children and grandchildren paying about the debt that will necessarily be run up under the Trust Plan. What's your thought on that? Well, it's a hugely popular policy and you can understand why if it's between you the taxpayer or your children and then you've got the big oil and gas companies making tens of billions in profits or even more then you're obviously going to say that the oil and gas companies mm. should pay the difference out of their profits but what i would remind whoever's listening to this podcast is that of course the oil and gas companies already tax far more than any other industry in this country they've already got a windfall tax in one way or another on them, so even if you did tax them, tax their entire profits, uh, it wouldn't actually. It would be a drop in the ocean of how much we need to uh, it, it, we need in terms of to, to freeze freeze bills for everyone in this country. So okay. it wouldn't solve the problem immediately. And then, of course, there's the impact, the unintended consequence of uh, the impact on investment and potential supply. Also, I do worry about the energy price freeze because I do worry that it might disincentivize people firstly to reduce their energy yeah. consumption because why would they want to and that's something we've been told we need to do reduce our energy consumption and then it also might disincentivize and prolong the crisis by disincentivizing um more supply um more more production so i do worry about that i personally think there should just be targeted support as we've already had that's what sunak started why not continue on with that all uh, right more coherent at least well i've got one one last point uh, I, in my small business, tried to help some of my staff who own homes by giving them a one-off bonus payment to help with the forthcoming energy prices. And I gave them a bonus payment of £500. My logic was if you combined it with the governments, you'd get 900 But when uh, we had a couple of members of staff in their 30s who had student loans to repay on regular pay on basic rate tax, and they came out with 260 out of the 500 which was a bit of a shock actually when you look at it like that and we're talking about the trust tax cuts um, I wasn't in favor of Liz Trust personally I campaigned for Rishi Sunak but when you look at something like that perhaps the tax cuts are necessary Robert Chris last point on that I think there's a lot of evidence the IEA have published this many times actually that if you lower taxes you increase the amount of money you actually generate in taxes i.e you know people don't try and hide money and and you get better economic growth and i think there's a very good case for that 
Uh, we've got to have a balance. We do not need a sterling crisis and we do not need a government debt crisis. Fair enough. Uh, Chris? Uh, yes, well, t- I mean, tax cuts obviously have their advocates. Um, the problem with tax cuts is they're not immediate mm-hmm. and the crises that are facing the country, the crises that are facing in, in uh, ordinary people are now and they are absolutely huge. And so that's why um, uh, even a price freeze or actual direct payments will ease ordinary people's pockets. So um, that is what the government has to do first. Emily, you get the last word. Oh, sorry, may I just say, as someone who's still paying off their student loan, (laughs) it seems to never go down because of all the interest that they that they put on it. It really is a bit of a kick in the teeth when you see it on your pay slip, because it's I think it's about nine percent of whatever you're earning over a very small amount. Um, So it is really, really quite frustrating. Um, But there's no benefit of paying it off or trying to pay it off in one go um, either, really. So it's just another tax. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Business Unmuted. Another edition, same time next week. Share it on social and tell people all about it. And if you have a business you want to be on this, get in touch.